Good morning, church. Good morning. If you'll open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 9. We're going to be beginning reading the word of the Lord in verse 1 through verse 4. This is the Legacy Standard Bible. Now when these things had been completed, the princes approached me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands according to their abominations. Those are the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed has been intermingled with the peoples of the lands. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the officials have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. When I heard about this matter, I tore my garment and my robe and pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard and sat down in consternation. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me. And I sat appalled until the evening offering. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you that you give us that opportunity every single day. Thank you for giving us a city, Anderson County and Clinton, to build and plant in. I pray that we in this church, every man, woman, and child, would be at the walls, ready to defend themselves against the onslaught of the enemy. I pray that we would look carefully at our walls constantly and be prepared to find any weaknesses and shore them up. And I pray that we would look always to the Savior of all, Jesus Christ, the one who indeed is the center of the gospel story, who gives us the strength by his spirit to do so. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Go ahead and dissuade any fears at the outset. This is not a doppelganger you're seeing, just an identical twin brother. <laughs> uh, Pastor Chris joked with me this morning that he thought it would be a good idea to get a week off from preaching, and in this way, it doesn't really look like he's getting a week off at all. <laughs> but in truth, we're not here this morning because of a man behind a pulpit. We're here this morning because of the man, Christ Jesus sent for our sins, for your sins, who died and was raised again so that you and I might have life. And he has sent us his spirit. And if anything out of my mouth comes this morning that is edifying and building up of you, it's not because of me. It's because of the spirit of the living God. So let us go to his word together. The scene is 1940. France, whose countryside was devastated, by trench warfare campaigns from German soldiers, spent so much money to build a wall that Germany would never cross again. The wall was called the Maginot Line. And consequently, due to the war settlements imposed on Germany for losing World War I, uh, unlike other countries in human history, they effectively built a wall and made Germany pay for it. Years of planning and vast millions of dollars in today's money was spent building fortifications, 
complete with underground connections, air conditioning, food stocks. There was one area, however, that didn't get very much attention, where France bordered Belgium, especially around the Ardennes Forest. The French knew that this forest would be a difficult point of entry for German invasion. Then Adolf Hitler simply found out about this weakness, reformulated his, uh, the previous World War I-era attack plan, exploited the weakness in the line, and said, hold my beer. The fallout of the German invasion into France would see untold numbers of British and French troop losses, the routing of all forces to the faded beaches of Dunkirk, and finally, the subsequent taking over of France by the Third Reich. Like France and Great Britain, Ezra was surprised. The worldview of the people that had left the exile with him had been so shaped by the ideologies of the surrounding nations that commands expressly forbidden in Scripture were considered cultural norms. Not only norms for the common uneducated exiles, but for the Levites and priests, the very people who should have known the law. My, how far the apple had fallen from the tree. But how did the people get here? What caused them to miss, so obviously, the commands of Scripture? Beloved, I submit to you that just as Pastor Chris said last week, should we forget the old, it is clear, and it's clear value to us, we will have holes in our line, gaping holes, that the enemy will walk right through. I'd like to start with a brief historical account of Ezra chapter 9. It starts with, now when these things had been completed. Scholars seem to agree that Ezra 9 and 10 probably takes place between the giving of the law and the rainy season for the people in chapter 10. We have about a four-month span between uh, that, ever, that Ezra does not cover, wherein the law is read and the people's sin of intermarriage is confessed, which is outlined in the parallel account of Nehemiah. Several reasons might account for this. But the most logical reason to me is that Ezra was deep in communion with God, the law, and potentially traveling back to Persia. How many times, men, have you noticed something about your children, only to have your wife say, yeah, they've been doing that for weeks now. Remember when I was talking to you about it last night? Well, men, now you can tell them that, like Ezra before you, you've been in deep communion with God, the reading of the law, and traveling back to Persia. Seriously. This could mean that the reading of the law happened sometime between month 5 and month 9. And then the people rejoiced to hear the law. Regardless, there was not real change in the heart of the people. Only the princes, and then only some of them, came to confess. Men, may I say that you have been appointed as leaders of your houses. I often like to say to my family, as goes the father, so goes the family. As goes the pastor, so goes the parish. The people enjoyed feasting, reading of the word, and yet they were still missing something. What were they missing? When Ezra read the law, what were they supposed to get? What is God communicating to you that your children should understand? At the very least, we must always remember that we have an enemy. We always have a mission. And our enemy, though he knows he cannot take us from Christ, will always go after you your family, and your mission. 
in verse 1, it says, The princes approached me, saying, The people of the Israel, the priests, and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands according to their abominations. And those of Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. At first glance of reading, the question almost jumps out. Was it a sin to be married to foreign people? I'm sure glad we don't have Ancestry.com tests in the back of the building and waiting for all the husbands and wives to take them. Because I think some of us would find out we're married to people who have come from all over the place. It's not a sin to be married to foreign people. But we have rushed into application. I was told by a wise old pastor once, before you can find out what the Bible is saying to you, you have to find out what the Bible was saying in the Bible. Right application begins with right interpretation. So what did these princes think was such a big deal? A key for them and a key for us is that the law of God, just as Pastor Chris exhorted us last week, is key to following the Lord. We must preach the whole law, even given its fulfillments in Christ. Moses said in Exodus chapter 34, be sure to keep what I am commanding you this day. Behold, I'm going to drive out the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Sound familiar? Beware lest you cut a covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, lest it become a snare to you in your midst. But rather, you are to tear down their altars shatter their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall not worship any other god, for Yahweh, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you cut a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you to eat of his sacrifice. And you take some of the daughters for your sons and his daughters to play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. Nothing in those verses said anything about who those people were. Those verses said everything about whose those people were. The New Testament exhorts us to make no mistake, bad company corrupts good morals. The people of the nations in Ezra's time were guilty of everything from idolatry to rampant sexual immorality, child sacrifice, to name a few. Sound like ancient Middle East or yesterday's Facebook feed? So what was the purpose of the law? Purity of the people. The purpose of the law was to keep Israel pure, to draw them ultimately to the Savior of purity, Christ Jesus the Lord. Cutting a covenant with the nations and lands implied tolerance of, including and not limited to, other gods. God not only desires, he demands people of pure hearts. Why is it so hard to keep the heart pure? When I was in high school, my church had a program in the spring called Disciple Now, where we went to homes and spent days and nights studying scripture 
playing games and learning lessons. I will never forget the year that we studied about bad company corrupting good morals. The leader got on a chair or uh, got out a chair and told the student, one of the students, to stand on it. He was taller than everyone in the room, and he felt it. Then the leader told another student to stand under him and told the student in the chair to try to pick the student on the ground up. Just told the student on the ground, just stay there. Don't help him. The result was striking. The student, who as strong as he was in the chair, was not able to lift up the student on the ground. Then he flipped the, the, the track and said, student on the ground, you're much smaller. You're not as big. Pull the student in the chair down. Student in the chair, just try to stay in the chair. The student on the ground easily pulled him off the chair. We actually made a contest to see if any teen could stay on the chair. So why was it so hard to stay on? Because gravity pulls downward. The path to holiness is much like that. Hang around bad company long enough, gravity's going to work in their favor every time. This characterized the returned exiles and the level of compromise that they allowed. So what does the New Testament have to say about this? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I wrote to you in my letter uh, not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or greedy or idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Are you not to judge those who are within the church? But those on the outside, God will judge. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Some of your Bibles might have removed the wicked man from among yourselves in small caps. That's because it's a direct quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 7. Old Testament passage, Old Testament law. Need to fulfill it? It has its fulfillment in Christ, but it still talks to us today. What's it saying? It was a passage on man-stealing. Here again, we see that Paul was never talking about man-stealing in the physical sense, but concerning the stealing of the hearts of God's New Testament people. If you steal the body, you may never take captive the heart. Steal the heart, you have the body also. I'm afraid our generation makes better slaves or makes better slave traders than the slave traders of 200 years ago were. Also, note that Paul is primarily talking about those who bear the name of brother. Just like in Ezra chapter 4, I do encourage you to go back to Pastor Chris's sermon on Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, talking about who to build with and not to build with those on the outside. Even the priests and the Levites had been caught up in this. And until now, has anyone called them on it? Team Levites had been getting trounced since they showed up, and they're the ones who are supposed to know the law. Well, do you have family, friends, co-workers, brothers and sisters in Christ in this church that you know about their sin in their lives, but it might harm their job, it might harm their marriage, or dare I say it, it might harm your friendship to tell them about it? 1 Corinthians 13 is clear. Love does no wrong to a brother. You should pray carefully. Seek the Spirit's guidance. 
and probably go talk to someone. Just this week, God put me in the difficult situation of being in the middle of a conflict between two brothers when I wasn't part of the conflict in the first place. Praise God for Matt Cook and his sermon a few weeks ago. It was the catalyst of reconciliation that, brought, that was brought into this kind of conflict, and I felt the conviction of Christ to help bring two brothers back together. But when you know the risks associated with speaking to a brother about potential sin, it'll be sure to turn some of the hairs on your beard, and maybe for some of your ladies on your head, pretty white. But calling is as it is, as the Spirit makes it known, is God's door number one. Door number two, if you're interested, starts to look a whole lot more like our text this morning. Just shove it under a rug. It's not a big deal. Time heals all wounds. Just move on. In the case of these brothers, both of them showed maturity and humility to meet and reconcile. We must not fear, but walk forward, knowing that the victory is already ours in Christ. Finally, in this section, a brief word about marriages for children. As this church grows, we will very likely be blessed with many more marriages here within and without CPK. The men have offered recently in Slack some very helpful guidance on what to look for in men and women in areas of work, devotion to God, children, and others. For parents, there's not much more that I would add than that, other than simply, if you don't know the worldview, you don't know the woman or man and neither does your child. If it's someone who has grown up in the church with your child, this makes the selection much more easy. But do not be afraid to take the process slower because you want to know who your son is marrying or who is marrying your daughter. Moving on, it says in verse 2, for they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves. It's very common in my family to hear me say, Nothing created is worldview neutral. No matter if we view the most intricate bug in all creation or the latest sports car created by man, nothing at all is worldview neutral. However, many of these men took daughters of the nation for themselves, thinking that they were just getting a girl who would be integrated into the family. They hadn't thought it through and the truth that she would integrate them into their worldview. It took no more than one generation upon entering the promised land for all of this to fall apart. If we go back to Judges chapter 2, the word is clear. And all that generation who came out of the land of Egypt and entered the promised land also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose yet another generation after them who did not know Yahweh or even the work that he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh. And serve the Baals. They forsook Yahweh, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And why? Because they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus, they provoked Yahweh to anger. Not much different than Ezra chapter 9. Keeps repeating. You could probably see it pretty clearly in America today. This is what we're fighting, beloved. They in Ezra, those in Judges, and many in our time forgot the sin of their fathers. They forgot the word of their God, and they forgot to pass it down. Where have you seen this today? How about schools who forgot who founded them? Only took one generation. 
Hospitals, who forgot who built them? Only took one generation. A government that forgot what underpinned it? Probably took less than a generation. Homes that forgot who ruled them? It only takes one generation. But you will say, yeah, but we're well taught. We're turning this back. We're not going to let this nonsense in here. Come at me, bro. Ezra's people were also generation zero, starting the Jewish nation over from the exile. For many of us, we're generation zero, starting Christendom in our families as the first generation. Have you considered what marriages you brought with you that God has commanded against? Husbands. Are you becoming one with online adulteresses and prostitutes, thinking that once a month can't hurt? I just need it. It'll be better next time. Maybe it's not something as easily seen. Have you married control of your life so that everyone in your family has to listen to what dad or hubby says so he gets his way? Or you may need to put everyone in their place. Wives, have you married an online persona of Instagram so only if you had that new kitchen, that new appliance, maybe more square footage, that craft that you did when you were a kid, well, then it would be just the way you wanted it. If only your kids would just stop disobeying you and get out of your hair for a minute, well, then you could accomplish real goals as a wife and mother. Children, do you pine after me time so much that you will go through anything to get what you really want Take a moment right now and think about what you're really passionate about, kids. Do you have a project, a friend, some food, a game that only if I could just spend more time on this. Today would have been fun. Really, Mom and Dad? Prayer night again? I was secretly hoping that we could not so I could. And for their sons they gave in marriage so that the holy seed has intermingled with the peoples of the lands. Here's where it really hurts. Maybe your sin was a different one. Maybe your struggle was a different one that you thought of a minute ago. What area of your life might God have shown you in this moment that you're just a little too friendly with the surrounding worldview and surrounding culture? Did you think that in so doing that you're maybe disciplining your children, your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ at the same time? Dad, maybe that you think what happens on the computer stays on the computer. But the secretive behavior is infectious. Mom, do your children see you pining after a few seconds on the smartphone? That's discipleship. What marriages are we making for our children right now? Before there's ever a thought of rings on their fingers, are there hooks on their hearts? If you hear nothing else that I say today, hear this. All life is directional and all directions disciple. Let me say that again. All life is directional. You are going somewhere. Even for the closet gamer parasite who sits in mom and dad's basement and does nothing except eat and play video games, your life's going somewhere. You probably don't like where it's going, but it's going somewhere. And those directions are discipling. You disciple every single person you come into community with. Make no mistake, 
The way we live does disciple our children, our friends, and our co-workers, and our spouse. I've noticed that my verbal mannerisms rub off on my wife. Am I discipling her in the joy of Yahweh and the trust of his strength? Or have I been teaching her that it's okay to allow complaining, coarse joking, foolish talk, pursuit after idols into my family? Well, I mean, we've got to stay relevant or else they wouldn't let us finish our temple. I'm so tired of trying to stay with it. I just want to let go every now and then. I know we've all been there. Ezra was there too. He's seeing it right now in his people. When Ezra heard about it, it says he tore his garments in his robe and pulled some of the hair from his head and his beard. And he sat down in consternation. So what was Ezra's response? Surprise. It was safe to say that Ezra was not expecting to hear this, nor was he aware that it was, that it had been going on. This is an area where we at Christ the King must be very careful. We are blessed, richly blessed in the church. Our teaching, our fellowship, our families, we've been given rich blessings of the Lord, even in the midst of great trial. But the enemy is always at the lines of the wall, and he is looking for cracks. He is looking for weak points and doors of entry. His well-laid cultural and familial infiltration got right past leading men who arguably should have known better. And if we are not careful, it can with us too. My desire for each family at this church is that we be not appalled like Ezra was. The last thing we want is a church full of men ripping their wardrobes out and, and their beards. Seriously, at Christ the King, we have an ambitious mission to see Anderson County become a Christianized county. While this is a lofty goal with many years of work ahead of us, you can take to the bank that the enemy has already gone to work trying to use our sin patterns that we brought with us against us and against this church. Ezra and his people had the law, maybe some of the prophets, and they were still appalled at the compromise of the people. We each carry the Bible in our hands, on our phones, and in many cases, our hearts. What's more, as followers of Christ, we carry the power of his spirit within us. A spirit so powerful that Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go. For if I do, I will send the spirit, the advocate. He will glorify Christ because he will take what is Christ's and disclose it to us. We have all that we need not to be surprised. Throughout Scripture, God has called His people to heed and respond to His loving warnings to obey. He has also given clear blessings for obedience and clear consequences for disobedience. Where did Israel falter after Egypt? Trying to follow God while pining after the Egyptian life when it got hard? 
God warned, they paid no heed. They died in the wilderness. Where did they fall in the promised land? God plus Baals. God warns, they paid no heed. God gave them over to the oppression of oppressors. Where did Eli falter? Not handing down God's commands to the next generation. His sons and he died on the same day. Where did Solomon falter? Too many horses, too many ladies. God specifically warned against it, and he and all his wisdom did not heed. His kingdom was broken. Ezra was reeling because for all their knowledge of God's word, they were right back in the same boat. In the words of the great American thinker, Yogi Berra, it's like deja vu all over again. But do we and did he have any examples of a warning heeded? Sure. Noah and the flood, all flesh will die. Heed my warning. He and his family did, and they were saved. Hezekiah and his boil, you will die. Heed my warning. He did, and he got 16 years back onto his life. Jonah and Nineveh, Nineveh will be overthrown. Heed my warning. They did, and God relented from destroying Nineveh. And we may spend some time in heaven with a great many repentant Gentiles from Nineveh. What are we to do then? Maybe during this time, you have already thought of ways that your walls have been breached. You see yourself sitting in a pile of failure, appalled at your unfaithfulness. Beloved, I am all too familiar with worm theology. And I believe that it is a worm theology being a theology of I'm nothing but a worm. I'm so awful. I'm the biggest sinner in the world. Essentially what you're saying is, God, you're not sufficient for me. Beloved, worm theology is death discipleship in slow motion. So what should you do? Well, if you're appalled today, thank God for revealing it to you. Start by rendering thanks to the Almighty. It's his kindness that he leads men to repentance. Confess your sin and then repent. Finally, get with your spouse, your parents, some of your CTK family. Get exhorted never to let that wall be breached ever again. It's possible. Pastor Chris has encouraged us multiple years. Holiness is possible. It is by the power of Christ and his spirit. Uh, I think uh, uh, theologian William Gurnall, I saw this quote actually randomly on a Twitter feed. I have to have Twitter up for work for cybersecurity exploits. And I saw this quote on a Twitter feed and I thought, man, this is perfect. Satan cannot hurt us without our consent. When we resist, his heart fails and he leaves. If we only weakly resist, he continues his assault. The only way to be rid of him is to shut the door upon him and deny all discourse with him. Men, you want to be alphas? Resist sin. Stand up. Fight. You've already been given the sword. The battle's been won. The spirit is with you. You are winning. The only reason you don't win is because you don't believe you win, right? Don't be like the Israelites with Goliath. Be like David. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What is this sin that's plaguing my life? 
he's about to go down because the Spirit of Christ has already won me the victory. However, maybe some of you are in a good season of life. You know what kind of season I'm talking about. Hey, brother, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Maybe you're unaware of attacks on you or maybe your family. In war, the goal has always been either one of two means of victory. Take down or take over. In my world of cybersecurity, attackers accomplish this goal by ascending to the role of the highest privileged legitimate user account, the domain administrator. How do they do that? Well, all compromises are achieved through the act of becoming what we call a legitimate asset. If you've seen some of those spy movies like The Born Identity and things like that, it's, there's always that moment when the, the, the main character steals somebody's ID and just badges right in. When you're legit, no one's coming after you. That phishing text, that call, that letter, that email that you got last week that so infuriates you, why can't I just block these people? They're just trying to be legitimate. Once they get your information, they are legitimate. This means that the chief goal of every defender should be to know their assets, to know the threats to those assets, and to understand how to mitigate those threats. Beloved, let me encourage you today to spend some time in prayer, looking at what you left Egypt with, or what has been given to you since. You should understand that God's enemy hates you. He hates your mission, and he hates what God has called you to do. He especially hates all the treasure you left Egypt with, and he wants to take it from you. And I'm not necessarily just talking about your house. This room is filled with treasure, right? It's not our smartphones. It's the immortal souls who have one of two destinations. The enemy hates every single one of you. He doesn't want you to succeed in your mission. So he's actively at work trying to take it down, take it over. I need you to understand that the process of doing this, taking some time, beginning to look at everything, maybe taking a morning, beginning to go pray by yourself, take a time off, hand off the kids to the husband, the wife, schedule it out, get some time to go begin to look at what you have from God, what you have come to build with. That is not, the process of doing this is not earning salvation. Many people are going to jump to legalism. Wait, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. I can't, no, 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 no. This isn't about being perfect. I'm not trying to be perfect before God. Perfection's already won. This isn't legalism and earning salvation. This is learning stewardship. In my field, we call this a risk assessment, but risk assessments really have their roots in just understanding and properly stewarding what you've been given by knowing how to protect them from compromises. Ezra sat appalled until the evening offering. And it was good that he was. But Christ has given us all the tools that we need to fight the enemies. And we can be avoid being appalled by meditating on just a few questions. Who has God made me? A Christian? A husband? A father? A worker? Who has God given me? 
wife, children, church family? What are these stewardship, where are these stewardship callings going? How are they doing? How's my relationship with my wife? Are we tepid? Are we on fire? Are we excited? Is things going well? Are one of my kids feeling isolated? Are they complaining more than they should? Do we take the time to sit down and think through these things? It doesn't take long. This is where you'll need to prayerfully think through each one. Talk with your spouse, your children, maybe a friend or parent. Be willing to receive the Spirit's leading through each other to identify compromises and weaknesses. Repent. Pray for biblical wisdom on how to respond to discovered weaknesses or compromises. I can encourage you in a couple of areas to think on. One, your pursuit of the Lord. Has it gone slack? Are you distant? Are you just getting by? Uh, it's okay if you, you know, like my wife and I do the, uh, the Bible reading plan for the church. It's okay if you miss a day. God's not there checking a box. This isn't earning salvation. But learning stewardship, where are you with your time with the Lord? Do you have, do you read 20 chapters a day and don't really hear a word that comes through? Or do you read one chapter a day and is it rich with fellowship? God is there to meet with you. Are you ready to meet with him? Number two, how about your weekly schedule? How do you spend your time that God gives you? Me, the president of the United States, and the poorest man who lives in Knox County. We all have the same amount of time, 24 hours every day. We've been called to be stewards of that time. If you don't have any money today, and you walked in off the street, and you're saved by grace, God's called you to be a steward of your time. How do you steward that time? Number three, for married uh, couples, how about your spouse? How are you called to lead or help them? Is that active right now? Is that dormant right now? Do you find yourself too busy? Do you find yourself with too much time? Do you find yourself not knowing what to do with the evening? Now's the time to think. And finally, your children, how are they shepherded? and discipled. Who primarily is doing that work? Dad, have you got the mantle? Is family worship something you prioritize? Again, can't check a box every single day. We threw family worship together last night in about five and a half minutes, but that's because that's what God gave us, and I wanted to shepherd my children and talk to them about God's word. It can be done. Fathers, you can do it. You've already been given everything you need. The list could go on and will vary depending on where you are in your life right now. Take a day, once a year. Take a half day, twice a year. Or maybe just take a morning, once a month, once a week. Fast, as Pastor Chris has encouraged us. Spend time with the Spirit. Get a notebook. Take notes. Figure out the condition of your walls. The last thing you want to do, for those of us, we're going to Nehemiah eventually, the last thing you want to do is come back to your walls after 72 years and look at them and go, wow, there's pretty much nothing left, right? They were exiled. They couldn't look at them. We have the ability to look at our walls every single day, and Christ has called us to steward what he's given us. So are we doing it, or will we sit appalled? The key to remember is that this is not legalistic, hyper-reformed, soteri, eisegesis. 
This is stewardship. Would you rather get your warnings or your bad news from listening to the Spirit or in the flowering of a sinful practice ignored? Every one of us is being changed by God continually. This is sanctification. And God has given us the means to proactively seek how he is working and sanctifying us. When I took the time to do this recently, I found out that I coveted the way that so many of you think about me so much in a sinful way. And it was going to destroy the way that I disciple my family, my children, my wife, and it was going to destroy my relationships with you. God, it, it can be anywhere. The enemy's attacks are multifaceted and they are shrewd. He walks around as a prowling lion. He's seeking someone to devour. But don't worry, his teeth. He's already been detoothed. He's already been declawed. He's got nothing left. All he can do is roar. Don't let him. Take the time to get your walls in order. Finally, Ezra sat appalled until the evening offering. Can we just give praise today that Jesus hung as the evening offering? The last one that ever needed to be given. We've been freed. He gave you salvation. He gave you the spirit. He gave you everything you and your family needs to be conformed to the image of Christ. Recently, my family just finished, actually yesterday, uh, we just finished Charles Dickens' famous book, A Christmas Carol. Uh, my wife had a really great idea. We, we've always liked the adaptations when we were younger on video, but we thought, let's read through the classic. And boy, I'm glad that we did. While some of Dickens' ultimate you know, ideas of how to apply what happens to Mr. Ebenezer Scrooge in his uh, story are pretty close to legalism and, and maybe run afoul of the way that Christians would handle it. One thing I noted, Scrooge was appalled when he saw his behavior reflected back on him and Scrooge's heart was changed. I don't want you all to be appalled, but if you are, let your heart be changed by the Spirit. God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. You may receive grace today. Please do not shake your head and lift your chin. Bow your head and confess just like the tax collector did. Have mercy on me, O oh God, a sinner. You do walk away. You've already been justified for those who are in Christ. You will justify, be justified if you are not in Christ and you will find the Spirit at work in your life to repent. We will not build Anderson or Christendom in Anderson County without much vigilance in our souls and in our families. But the way has already been paved for us. You have the tools that you need. We, we may not repeat history as those in Ezra 9 did in these first four verses. And we may not because of the Spirit's great work within us. Beloved, see it, look for it, hear it. Thank you.